0: Good morning, thank you for joining us now. Our church here, Carrickfergus Baptist, is a member of the Association of Baptist Churches in Ireland. And today is what we normally call Association Sunday. And this evening was meant to be our joint service with the other local Baptist churches, Whitehead Baptist and Green Island Baptist as well. Unfortunately, that has had to be canceled, but we do wanna have a focus on our association throughout our service today. And so we're gonna start this morning with a short video message from Trevor Ramsey. Trevor is the pastor of Newton the Baptist and also this year he is the president of our association Then we're going to sing our opening song Christ our hope in life and death And after that our church secretary Trevor Davison is going to lead us in prayer
1: Hello brothers and sisters. I just wanted to say hello to you today to send you greetings and to introduce myself. My name is Trevor Ramsey. I'm the pastor of newton Baptist Church here in Belfast. And I have the privilege this year of serving as the president of our association. As you know, our association week has had to be canceled this year. That's a massive disappointment to so many of you because the week is so important in our life for connection and for fellowship and for hearing the stories of what God is doing amongst us in our churches north and south, and in our association departments. I look forward, by God's grace, to coming to visit many of you in the year ahead and to hearing those stories for myself. And also looking forward to sharing the stories with you of what God is doing amongst us. Because God is doing great things, even in these momentous days. Let me encourage you to keep on serving well. And I want to leave you with a simple verse of scripture. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. May God bless you.
2: So is us.
3: lift our hearts to you in worship. We bless your name. We declare you the Lord. We humble ourselves in your holy presence. Only thou art holy, there is none beside thee, perfect in power, in love and purity. We worship you, great God. We delight that you so loved the world, that you gave your only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him, might not perish, have everlasting life we bless you for jesus we say worthy is the lamb this morning we would crown him with many crowns the lamb upon the throne we would sing praise him praise him jesus our blessed redeemer sing o earth his wonderful love proclaim hail him heal him highest dark angels in glory strength and honor give to his holy name. Lord, we thank you for every blessing we enjoy, every good and perfect gift cometh from above, from the Father of lights, for salvation, your Word, the Holy Spirit, the Church. For this season, which speaks so much of you, the new life evident everywhere, Heaven above is softer blue, earth around is sweeter green. Something lives in every hue Christless eyes have never seen. Truly nothing is as beautiful as spring. For healthcare and all the benefits of living in this part of the world, we recognize that the lines have fallen to us in pleasant places. Thank you. That you are the good shepherd, that you know each of us by name, that you came to give us life to the full, that you're the God of all comfort. From deeply grateful hearts, we thank you. Father, with open hearts, for you know us completely, we confess our sins. Forgive us those acts and thoughts and attitudes this week which were not to your glory. Let us not be complacent about the sin that so easily besets us. Make us a holy people. Give us a desire to be a holy people set apart for you. Lord, conform us every day to the image of your Son by the work of the Holy Spirit. Lord, hear our prayer. We remember before you those known to us who are sick, who are grieving, who are broken, whose circumstances need your redeeming touch. Lord, visit them today with all that you bring, hope, healing, wholeness. We love your work, Lord. Manifest yourself in all these situations remembered before you. Speak to the hearts of those who do not know you. Save them, Lord. Lord, we bless you for the church and pray your blessing upon all believers Worshipping at home this morning in this town. Today we remember the Baptist churches across the island, particularly the fellowships in Green Island and Whitehead, labouring in the same field with the same soil. All that we pray for ourselves, we pray for them. Build your church in these days. May we all know times of refreshing. Build us up in our most holy faith. Make us salt and light, a light set on a hill. May our one desire be to know you more, to be found in you, to be known as yours. Let us walk worthy of the calling. We pray for our land at this time. We pray, let your kingdom come. May you work in the hearts and lives of those in government, awaken them spiritually, grant wisdom, for those directly involved in dealing with the pandemic we pray for your protection upon them across the land we pray for a spiritual awakening may there be lasting fruit as a result of this period of shaping so lord we thank you once again for this time in your presence continue with us as we continue to worship together accept our prayers in the lovely name of jesus and for his sake
0: Amen. Thank you, Trevor. Now, coronavirus has brought lots of challenges for our Association of Baptist Churches in Ireland, all the work and all the different ministries that go on. The director of our association, Dave Ramsey, is a member of our church, and he's going to come now. He's going to give us an update on all that's happening. And then afterwards, Danielle McAllister, who's one of our church reps at the Baptist Council meetings, is going to pray for all that Dave shares with us.
4: Good morning. Today is what is known as Association Sunday across our family of churches. It's time to focus in on the work that we do together as a gospel partnership of Baptist churches. Normally it's marked by joint services or by pastors swapping pulpits, but we're prevented from doing some of that. So I'm delighted to be able to bring you a short update on the work of our association and how we're facing the challenges of COVID-19. The year 2020 is the 125th anniversary of our association. It was formed in 1895 and to mark that anniversary and to celebrate the anniversary we issued a call to unite to pray. Over the first couple of months of the year it was encouraging to hear how many churches had gathered together for joint prayer meetings right across Ireland and many more were planned for the rest of the year but little did we know the impact that COVID-19 would have on that momentum. While we can't Unite to pray. We're still encouraging churches and individuals to pray and you can be part of that by downloading our prayer guide from irishbaptist.org and joining to pray with us. The work of our association has been impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic in many ways. This week we were due to have our church's council and our assembly meetings and they have had to be cancelled. The Baptist Centre is closed, although most of the staff are working from home and available to answer any queries that might arise. The Irish Baptist College had to cancel the the final four weeks of face-to-face teaching and move everything um, electronic and online and that has gone very well, although you can pray for the students as particularly the final years as it's not ideal circumstances to finish up your course of study. Baptist youth have had to take the difficult decision for the health and safety of all involved to cancel the summer activities program. And you may be familiar with the impact that uh, summer work camps and teams can have in the lives of children and young people. And so that is disappointing that that is not going to take place this year. The Amazing Journey is not able to take place because schools are closed. And so Baptist youth are adapting to put out um, a lot of content over the Internet. Baptist women have moved a lot of their courses online and that's been really well received by those who are engaging in that. Our Baptist missionaries and church planters are uh, identifying novel ways of sharing the gospel with those that they come in contact with and indeed we're encouraged to hear even just this past week of an individual in Ireland and an individual in Spain who have trusted Christ as their saviour as a result of contact with some of our missionaries. You can pray as well for John and Lurdy's Brew. They were due to return to Peru, but were prevented from doing so. And so John is teaching some of the classes in the seminary in Tacna over the internet from Ireland. None of our churches have been immune to these challenges and our doors are closed and many of our activities have ceased. But our confidence is in the eternal God whose purposes cannot be thwarted and the public proclamation of God's truth cannot be hindered. And so we're encouraged to see how so many of our churches are adapting to these challenges. They're facing them head on and they are um, engaging in digital means and other means to um, encourage their churches and to reach their communities. One of the prayer points in our Unite to Pray, in fact, for the month of May, is pray that the Holy Spirit would prepare hearts for the gospel message to remove stumbling blocks and grow in many a spiritual hunger. That's very apt for the times that we are facing. Many people are asking the big questions in life. Is there meaning to life? Is there more to life? They're being made to stop and think. And it's our prayer that in the midst of this fear and this desperation, that the church will rise up and will give the answer, the hope that it has, the hope in Jesus Christ. And it's our prayer that as an association of churches right across this island, that we will stand together for the Gospel, that we will face these challenges head on, that we will be a beacon of hope and that we will lift high the name of Jesus Christ so that he will receive all of the glory, all of the honour and all of the praise.
5: Let's pray. Dear God, as we meet this morning for a very different version of Association Sunday, we want to thank you for 125 years of the Association of Baptist Churches in Ireland. Amongst the difficulties faced at the moment, the disappointment that we can't meet together and the worry of all the changes being undertaken, I pray that each of us would find a moment to feel comforted by a sense of unity and feel joy in our thankfulness to you on reaching this 125th landmark. Lord, we are thankful for the men and women who have given their time and energy over the past 125 years but we acknowledge that it is all because of you and your faithfulness. We've heard about the impact that lockdown is having on the plans for the year. We pray for Dave and for all the staff at the association. We pray that they won't feel disheartened by plans changing or worried by the change in routine, but rather that you would continue to refresh them physically and spiritually. We pray that they would go into the next weeks and months ahead feeling supported encouraged and focused on you. We've heard about the changes and challenges faced by the College, Baptist Youth, The Amazing Journey, Baptist Women and so many other teams. We pray for wisdom as they work to navigate through these circumstances, for enthusiasm as they decide on alternative approaches and for contentment as they use this time to focus and rely on you. Yet in the middle of cancelled events and lonelier moments, we celebrate on hearing of those coming to know you as their Saviour. We thank you for the work of Baptist missions and for the missionaries and church planters. We pray for each relationship they have sought to establish with those around them and ask for your guidance as they maintain and strengthen these during difficult time of physical separation. We pray for courage as they seek new ways of communication. We pray for each church in the association, and as we respond to the call to unite to pray, we ask for spiritual hunger, for prayerful hearts, and for courage to stand out and point a questioning world to you. Lord, as we face so many changes during this time, we are so thankful to be serving a God who remains the same yesterday, today, and forever.
0: Amen. Thank you to Dave and Danielle. Now, last week we were thinking about the Lord's Prayer with the boys and girls. I asked them to be creative, to come up with ideas of how they could remember the words and to send them in to me. And I've had a number of responses, gonna show a couple of them today, and we'll show more over the next coming weeks. So do keep sending them in. But two great pictures I wanna share with you this morning. The first one is from Seth Radcliffe, this brilliant picture, well done, great job, Seth. And this lovely one from Lydia Conley. It looks brilliant. Super job. Now I do keep sending those in, as I said. We'll leave the Lord's Prayer until next week. We'll pick it up again then. But we want to sing our children's song now. And the theme of our sermon later on is about Jesus coming back again. And that's the theme of our children's song. It's called Be Ready. This year for Association Sunday, we decided to do something a little bit different. As well as our evening joint service that we normally do, the three pastors decided to have a pulpit swap where we would rotate round. So the plan was I would go to Whitehead Baptist, Philip Boyd from Whitehead would go to Green Island, and Johnny McGreevy would come here and preach for us this morning. Now obviously you can't do that physically, But we've decided to keep it as an online venture. So we've each recorded a sermon that will be used in another church's service this morning. So Johnny McGreevy is going to share God's Word with us this morning. Now Johnny and his wife Laura have had a difficult time over the last number of months. Just before Christmas, Laura was diagnosed with breast cancer. And over the past week, and for the next couple of weeks as well, she'll be having daily radiotherapy treatment. So we'd ask you to pray particularly for Laura, and for Johnny and their three young daughters at this tough time. But we're so pleased, we're so glad that John Lee has been willing to share God's word with us this
6: morning. Good for me to be with you this morning, uh, down in Carrick, I'm speaking to you from Green Island, of course, and uh, for those of you that don't know me, uh, my name's John Lee, I'm the pastor down the road in Green Island Baptist. Uh, it's always an encouragement to get together with uh, friends from Carrick and really do appreciate the partnership that we share in the gospel. I want to just from a personal level as well, just thank those of you who I know have been gathering week by week in your prayer meeting and have been remembering myself and Laura in our situation and prayers. We really value that. and really want to thank Peter as well, who is not only a great pastor, uh, but a great pastor of pastors and has been just a wonderful support and friend to me in recent years. So I uh, just really want to bring you warm greetings um, from my family and from the church family down here in Green Island. It's great to be together today in God's Word. And if you've got your Bible in front of you, I'd encourage you to open it up in Romans chapter 8. Let me throw a date at you to begin with, May 21st, 2011. I wonder, does that date mean anything to any of you? Perhaps not. If you were living in the United States that springtime, however, you couldn't avoid that particular date day or the significance of it. Everywhere you went, there were radio adverts or billboards uh, telling you that the return of Jesus Christ was going to happen on that day, that 2012 was never going to take place, it would never arrive, and the Bible guaranteed this. Course, in reality, uh, this whole campaign was just a big scam, uh, one in a series of lies and loony predictions uh, by the popular radio personality and false prophet Harold Camping. May 21st came, and May 21st went, and then May 22nd arrived. And on May 22nd, the unbelieving world and the secular media just had a good laugh at Christians and at the naivety of people who would be duped or led into places of fear by such a prophecy. You know, tragically, in some cases, unsuspecting people had quit their jobs, had spent their life savings, maybe emptied their children's college funds, all in order to very sincerely warn other people about the return of Jesus and the judgment that was coming. Now, perhaps such a situation seems really far-fetched for us here in Northern Ireland. We'd never be duped by such a lie. But let me propose to you that when it comes to the return of Jesus Christ, you and I have possibly been duped by another false prophet. I'm talking here about the devil. You see, whereas those somewhat naive people in America were being far too specific about the return of Jesus... The Bible tells us plainly, Jesus himself says that we will not know the day or hour of his return. Yet it seems to me that you and I are guilty of maybe veering to the other end of the spectrum, where really we have no sense or anticipation that the day or hour of Jesus' return might ever, ever come. It may well be that our sense or longing or expectation of His return is so reduced because we don't really understand what the Bible teaches about this subject. Or it may well be the case that we're simply just too content in the here and now. The current pleasures or maybe pressures of life are so huge for us that we've altogether set aside the hope of eternity. And yet, when you pick up the Bible, and in particular when you read the apostolic teaching in the New Testament, it's pretty clear that believers in the early church had a keen sense that not only had the Lord Jesus died and risen, but that he would surely return again. In fact, the New Testament presents us with this very forward-looking, glory-focused Christian discipleship. Jesus' imminent return is pretty much assumed throughout the New Testament writings And in that sense, his return is meant to shape the perspective and inform the priorities of God's people, the church. We hear, for example, Paul tell us that our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus. That's Philippians 3 verse 20. Or we hear Peter exhorting us, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 1 verse 3. then we hear John write the last prayer of the entire Bible in Revelation 22, which is actually supposed to be the daily prayer and aspiration of all God's people. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. So with that in mind, how can you and I recover a sense of expectation of Jesus' return? Well, of course, the simple answer is we ought to read the Bible and I want to jump into the Bible this morning in Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 18. Paul writes, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is yet to be revealed to us. Just to give a wee bit of context here, because we're jumping into the very middle of this book, In these middle chapters of the book of Romans, Paul is presenting us with some core gospel truths, and he does that by making some very well-founded assumptions, assuming where you and I are at in our lives, the, the common experiences that we may be going through. So, for example, in Romans 5, Paul assumes, rightly, that we are all sinners who need to be saved. And with that in mind, he calls us to rejoice because salvation has come. Jesus Christ has come and given his life as a great substitute so that we might be justified before a holy God in the courts of heaven. While we were yet sinners, writes Paul, Jesus Christ died for us. Then in Romans 6 and 7, Paul makes another well-founded assumption: not only that we're all sinners, but that we're all strugglers. That even in the Christian life, having been redeemed, we still find ourselves doing battle against sin and the flesh and the devil. And of course, he's right in that, isn't he? In fact, in Romans seven, Paul reveals a bit of his own struggle. He he candidly lays himself bare. He says, "For I have the desire to do what is right." but not the ability to carry it out. Anybody familiar with that? I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. We get that, don't we? That's our experience. And yet, Paul is not inviting us here to a pity party. Rather, he calls us to consider ourselves dead to sin and to walk in newness of life. Of course we find ourselves thinking, How can how can you tell us that, Paul? What what means can we do that? Well, Paul reminds us that not only has Christ died, Romans five, but Christ has risen, Romans six, and with that we are joined with him in resurrection through our baptism. We now have the power of resurrection within us, enabling us to walk victoriously in the many struggles of the Christian life. Now here in Romans 8, Paul makes another assumption, a well-founded one, not only that we're all sinners and that we're all strugglers, but really that you and I all suffer to one degree or another. And again, he'd be right, wouldn't he? I don't know a lot of you individually or your stories, but I assume that many of us gather together to do church today in a place of distress, dissatisfaction disappointment maybe, disillusionment, possibly even despair. That's true isn't it? The people of God as we gather together we we don't make the claim to have it all together. Certainly we can't say that we're living the dream despite what we might post on our Facebook status. Um, I wonder if you ever asked why is that? Why are so many of us suffering and going through difficult things? Well, Paul goes on to explain here in this passage that essentially the world that you and I are living in can only be described as a broken down house. Listen to what he says, verse 19. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption And obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So why is the world in a state of disarray? Why do we suffer this sense of perpetual dissatisfaction, of of painful dysfunction? Well, Paul tells us the the very cosmos around us, the universe, is reeling in pain and in anguish, in in groaning. Death and and decay is the rule, not the exception. And, And why is that? Because of the fallout of sin. Verse 20 this chaos and consternation being played out in the world, being played out in our lives, is a direct result of the judgment of God against the sin of mankind. I want to tell you this morning that the world we live in is not what it was meant to be because you and I are not the people we were meant to be. Our lives have been tainted by sin, marred by disobedience against God. In truth, paradise has fallen because we have fallen. When God formed the creation way back in Genesis, remember he declared it was very good And yet the story of humanity is that the very ones who were considered the pinnacle of God's handiwork, men and women like you and I, in a bid for autonomy, then viciously turned on the creator. And when our first parents revolted and, and rebelled in this way, we soon followed suit, didn't we? And we're still living in in the wake of that today. This seismic, this huge chasm that has now been introduced between us and our creator. Just think about it. If we ever felt the world's brokenness, then surely it's right now, isn't it? I mean, as I speak, news reports are telling me that possibly more than a, a third of the entire world's population is living in lockdown. Our nation is currently contending with the pain and loss of way over 20,000 people dying. Our government is struggling, our health system is strained, and our very way of life seems to have shifted. But what Paul is telling us here in Romans 8 is crucial for us to understand. He tells us here that bottom line, the most fundamental problem this world faces is not actually coronavirus. It's the much more deadly pandemic of sin. Our biggest problem, in other words, is not biological, it's it's not political, it's not ecological, it's spiritual. Sin is like this disease that absolutely none of us can self-isolate from and none of us can claim to be asymptomatic of. Sin is this incurable death sentence hanging over all the world. This creation needs to be redeemed. We need to be redeemed, to be restored to the former glory for which we were made. And of course, there's only one person that can bring the healing and the help that we, that this world so desperately needs. That person is Jesus Christ. But before we go there, before we talk of Jesus and his coming and the salvation that he brings, uh, uh, before we visit what is really our fundamental hope as God's people, I want you to consider one more thing Paul tells us here about the suffering that is common, not just in the cosmos, but in our own lives. Look at verse 23. Paul reminds us as if we've somehow forgotten that it's not just the world around us in a mess, in a state of flux and and frustration. The reality is that we too experience and endure brokenness in our bodies, don't we? Of course we do. We get sick, we face debilitating diagnosis, we struggle with physical or mental illness, we fight chronic pain, we feel the onset of old age and infirmity, things that, that once worked don't work anymore. In fact, even as Christians, we've we've no immunity, even as those who were once dead in sin, but have now been made alive spiritually. We still find that we're wasting away outwardly, don't we? And again, this is not the way it was supposed to be. The great Bible teacher, James Boyce, helpfully points this out. He says, this fallenness and frustration of nature and our bodies is well illustrated in the annual renewal of the springtime, which is then inevitably defeated. He comments how spring all too quickly passes into the withering heat of summer and then the undoing of autumn and then the deadness of winter. Voice writes, it's as if nature wants to be glorious, but it's always impeded in its attempts to be so. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? In fact, that's what the Bible says about our lives. Psalm 103, as for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, but then the wind passes over it and it's gone and its place remembers it no more. I guess you could say this world we inhabit, these these bodies we inhabit, are bound in this perpetual cycle of of a of a winter that will never end. And Paul wants us to understand and and appreciate here in Romans eight that that we're always standing on our tiptoes, so to speak. We're we're always straining our necks forward to this springtime that we're longing for, this this time of glory and, and of beauty that as yet has not arrived. Let me say to you, if you feel that longing, that dissatisfaction in your current circumstances or, or situation, then then be encouraged. That longing for something else, that sense in which the present reality isn't all there is, that is a God given desire. You see, God's word declares and God's son in coming and and dying and, and rising again has proclaimed us that this world is not all there is. Listen, for example, to the prophecy of Isaiah. Isaiah writes, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. And they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That that sense of longing and and urging for a better reality, a, a restored and glorious creation. Or listen to what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 as he reflects upon the resurrection of Jesus, which is a preview of this newness and and victory and life and glory that we'll one day enjoy. He says, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, so now by a man has come resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his order. Christ the first fruits then it is coming those who belong to Christ and then will come the end and he will deliver the kingdom of God the father after destroying every rule and authority and power for he will reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. The Bible clearly speaking here of a restored world and and a resurrected body. These things that, that God has spoken of through the prophets that he's now revealed in his son, the Lord Jesus, setting them forward as a sacrifice for our sins. Or to use Paul's language here in Romans 8. The Bible speaks of a creation set free, verse 21, of bodies redeemed, verse 25. In other words, these things are not a pipe dream. They're not pie in the sky. This is not escapism. This is not a crutch constructed for, for weak hapless people who can't deal with the harsh realities of life. No, verse 24, this is the very hope for which you and I have been saved. And this is the reality that God has promised to bring into being when his son returns The return of Jesus Christ, you see, will be the catalyst. It will be the trigger for this great springtime of light and life and beauty and glory and victory to awaken and kick into motion. When the Son of God appears, then glory will come with him. Future grace. I wonder, is that what you're looking forward to in your life? Do you have any sense of expectation or longing for the return of Jesus? Do you have any sense that one day soon you will inhabit such a world, that you will possess such a resurrected body? Can you say, like Paul says in Romans 8 here, that you're groaning for these things, that you're straining or or longing for them? You know, sadly, for many of us, the answer to those questions is no, no. These things are not really on our radar, are they? For for one thing, we've got so distracted in the here and now, haven't we? And we've forgotten that we were actually made and saved for eternity. But secondly, and more importantly, for Paul here in in Romans eight, we have laid aside this hope, this this vision of things to come, because in reality, the present sufferings that we're dealing with have just eclipsed those things and have become far too heavy to bear. I use that word seem heavy for a reason because Paul wants to challenge our estimation of things here. Look back at verse 18 again. Paul says that he's taken these two realities to hand, the present suffering that we endure and the future glory that God has called us to expect. And he tells us here that he's taken these two realities and he's put them on a scale. He says, I've measured them. And guess what? One of them dramatically outweighs the other. Uh, And we're not talking here about a wee bit of a difference. We're talking about an off the chart differential. It's like putting an elephant on one side of the scale and a microscopic cell on the other. There's no comparison. And Paul really says this the same thing. He makes the same estimation when he writes to the church in Corinth, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. I know what some of you are thinking here. Who is Paul to say something like this to us? To make this kind of sweeping assessment of our lives, of of our struggles? Who is this apostle to dismiss the suffering that we're dealing with out of hand and to speak this way of future grace and, and unseen glory? Well, guess what? Paul is a struggler. Paul is someone who knows what it is to go through difficult times. Paul here isn't speaking about end times and, and heaven and the return of Jesus in some kind of theological ivory tower. No, it's fair to say that Paul's address is a place called struggle. And actual fact earlier on in 2 Corinthians 4, Paul speaks about being afflicted in every way, perplexed, persecuted, struck down. And later in the in the same letter, he warns us not to write him off as a fanatic, but, but to really understand that he speaks of these truths. He speaks of heaven and, and the glory to come out of a place of intense suffering. Paul writes, five times I received at the hands of the Jews, 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, three times shipwrecked for a night and a day, adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers and robbers, from my own people, from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, and on and on he goes. It's out of a place of struggle that the Apostle Paul writes to us here also in Romans 8. But let me say it's also out of a place of seeing what is to come. You see, Paul tells us, in second corinthians 12 that in the midst of his struggles and his weakness in fact in a particular time in his life when he was contending with a a thorn in the flesh a a recurring struggle that that just wouldn't seem to pass and that brought with it senses of spiritual attack and the taunts of satan in the midst of that difficult time paul says that god in his mercy granted him a vision of heaven of the paradise and the glory that is yet to come for all those who believe in the Lord Jesus, for all those who press into the grace of God and hope in the Son of God for salvation. And really it's that same vision of of glory, of what's to come that, that Paul here wants to impart to us, wants to impress upon us in Romans 8. The apostle wants us to understand That heaven is real, that eternity is real, that Jesus really is coming back, that the earth really will be restored, that our bodies really will be redeemed, that the bride, which is the church, really will run into the arms of her beloved, that all struggle and sin and sorrow really will cease, that we will dwell with God in the new heavens and earth. He will be with us, that there will be a river there in that great city, which will flow for the healing of the nations, that he'll bring us to himself, that he'll wipe away every tear from our eyes, that sorrow and sighing will flee away. This is the hope that Paul has here firmly in view. And so Paul takes out his set of scales And he makes a reckoning, a a reckoning that each one of us needs to make also. He's inviting us here to put our stuff on the scale. Put our suffering, those difficulties, those things that are painful and, and raw in our lives, put them on the scale. That sorrow that you're enduring, that struggle that you don't seem able to beat, this is not an academic argument that Paul here is trying to, trying to win. This is Paul trying to pastor us in what is the core foundational life transforming truth that we trust in. That our God has so much more in store for those who are in Christ Jesus. Health and wholeness, healing, beauty, strength, joy, unspeakable joy. This is what he made us heirs of when in his grace he chose us and called us to be his sons and daughters through faith in Jesus. This is the hope that God has birthed in our hearts if we're Christians, that we will be raised from death to eternal life, that that we will be spiritually alive. This is is our hope, a, a restored creation, redeemed bodies, no more sickness, no more sorrow. And Paul wants us to understand this is not pie in the sky stuff. This is really going to happen. A physical, tangible, glorious reality awaits when the Son of God returns and wraps up the the sky like a scroll and the new heavens and earth come down. Church, I need you to get this this morning. Paul is not arguing this truth makes our suffering any less painful. But what he is saying is this, that the hope of the glory to come makes our suffering so much more purposeful. This glorious forever that God has won for us in Jesus, which he's showing us time and again in his word, which is going to make a reality when Jesus returns. This is the guarantee that because I am God's child, the present suffering I'm going through is not the end of my story. It's not the sum of my existence. It's a preparation for the final destination. Paul Tripp writes this, forever guarantees that all of this is temporary. Eternity tells every child of God that the bulk of our existence will be lived in a place of eternal peace and rest and joy. Isn't that good to know this morning? And because that's the case, then Paul tells us here, verse 25, that we must do two key things. We must hope and we must wait. And the kind of waiting he's talking about here is not some aimless painful frustration not that kind of waiting but rather an eager expectation or to quote Paul elsewhere in his letter to the Corinthians we do not lose heart. I don't know about you but I find myself oftentimes losing heart maybe more so in recent months with our own family situation. I find that I struggle at times to to take the realities that I deal with in my life and to put them alongside the, what God has promised in his word. The eternity that he, he says he's made certain for me in the sun. In fact, I find myself doing that a lot, putting those two things side by side. The other night I was sitting with our girls on the bed. I asked them if I could share this. And I've been talking to them about their mummy. And the treatment she's facing for cancer. And we had some prayer together. And it so happened in God's goodness on that particular night, we'd reached the end of our wee Bible story that we'd been working through. There we were. And we were dealing with the hard realities of what our family's facing right now. And, and we're not alone in that. I know that many of you are facing difficult things. Maybe harder things that we're facing. It's not a competition. It's that we all go through difficult things. In fact, the Bible teaches that this life is a brief and uncertain pilgrimage where suffering and brokenness and need is the norm. But there we were and God in his goodness, after us voicing all these hard things, these difficult things, God then, if you like, tipped the scales and he blessed our hearts by pointing us to the glory of what is yet to come, just as Paul's trying to do here in Romans 8. So let me close my time with you this morning by reading with you a wee bit of what we read from this book called The Biggest, The Bigger Story. As you can tell, this story, the story of the Bible, is a big story. In fact, it's the biggest story. We live in the middle of the end. We get a glimpse of what is to come in our hearts, in our families, in the church But anyone who really loves the story of the Bible longs to see the one who's at the center of it, the snake crusher. Jesus is coming back again to wipe away all the bad guys. In fact, he'll wipe away every tear. He's coming to make a new beginning and to finish what he started. He's coming to give us the home we once had and have forgotten that we've lost. So keep waiting for him. Keep believing in him. Keep trusting that the story isn't over yet. God's promises never fail and the promised one never disappoints. One day soon we will see him. One day we will be with him. One day there will be nothing but the best days, day after day after day. And forever and ever it will be a wonderful time to be God's children in God's wonderful world. Let's pray together. O living God, you broke the tomb in glory. Death could not hold the one who authored life. His radiant light has shattered through the darkness and in our hearts, his risen life now shines. And so we wait in eager expectation And join the song as all creation groans, Lord, haste the day, decay gives way to glory. The day you call your sons and daughters home. What a day that will be, when my Jesus I will see, when I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace, when he takes me by the hand and leads me to the promised land. No more clouds to fill the sky, No more tears to dim the eye. All will be peace forevermore on that happy golden shore. And forever I will be with the one who died for me. What a day. What a glorious day that will be. Father, thank you for the hope that you've given us in the Lord Jesus. Thank you for the inheritance that awaits us in him. This future glory. God, I pray for your people this morning. Lord, in the midst of the sorrows and the struggling and the suffering of this life. God, would you enable us to wait? Would you enable us to live with a sense of expectation of what's yet to come? God, enable us to do as Paul encourages us here in this passage. To take the reality that we're dealing with. And to set it on the scale, so to speak. And to understand that you have so much more for us yet to come. God, give us grace in this present season of struggle. And grant us faith to trust you that the best is yet to come. That the future really is bright for those who are in Jesus Christ. And we pray these things in his precious name. Amen.
0: Thank you, Johnny, for encouraging us from God's word this morning. Thank you for joining us online as well. If you haven't signed up for our Christianity Explored course and you were thinking about it, can I encourage you to go on our church website and to sign up? It's starting this Thursday. And Wednesday is really the cutoff day for signing up, so we know exactly how many numbers we have. But let me finish this morning by encouraging you from these words from 1 Thessalonians in chapter 5. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.